In order for shame to be rendered powerless in our lives, we must be witnessed. We must be seen. Your gifting is going to seem like things that are just very obvious. They're going to seem like, well, everybody can be this welcoming, but everybody can see that moment where I just saw it. It's going to feel like anybody could do it. And that's what makes it your gifting. Watch how people avoid the face of somebody in need or asking who makes you uncomfortable. Every one of those faces reveal God. We have to remember our past and recount the things that God has done for us. And then that gives us faith to keep going to where he wants us to be. Hey guys, welcome back to the Incense Podcast. I'm Sam. And I'm Blaine. And this week, we had the pleasure of having Reverend Jonathan Tremaine Thomas on the podcast to talk about his organization and particularly this moment in time. The organization is Civil Righteousness. And the reality is that there are few voices, there are others, but there are few voices right now who are as able to communicate the application of the gospel to justice in our time. And JT or Jonathan is one of those voices. So we explore the many dimensions of bringing the restoration of all things into our moment in time, especially into the conversation of racial reconciliation in the United States. If this is a conversation that you are entering warily, I would say as best you can enter into this with a posture of curiosity and hopefulness, because Jonathan is carrying the gospel of Jesus into this context. And so there is a measure of, I know it has been a lot, and we don't know what will have happened from the moment we recorded this to the moment that we air this. But we do know that much of this conversation is going to remain timely and timeless. So I think you guys are going to enjoy it. Jonathan, thank you for coming on the show today. It's an honor to be with you. It's an honor to be here. Thank you for having me. We're going to roll right in to the deep end of the pool and ask, in general, what is the opportunity for the kingdom of God right now? And how exactly do you see the church participating? Yeah, you know, I think the opportunity is for us to mature and to actually take on a greater measure of the love of God, the the character of Christ than we perhaps have ever known um, in church history. Uh, I say that, I know that sounds like a really big phrase, but I say that because the Bible informs us that Christ is going to return for a mature church. And that means we're going to actually come into uh, a greater oneness, not only with Christ, the John 17 unity, but we're going to come into a greater oneness with each other. And we're going to actually, according to the book of Ephesians, believe the same things about Jesus. And that's that's like profound and, and kind of like crazy when you look at how much division exists within you know the church between denominations. And then when you go to the cultures and the uh, experiences and the traditions, there's so much division. But God says, no, you will be one as as I and the Father, Jesus says, says, I and the Father are one. And so I think that's the opportunity is to allow God to deal with us and to transform us. Mm. The impetus for this conversation is that in the background, there is a massive movement with, a, with an enormous amount of momentum underway calling for racial justice in the United States. Something I think is very unique about your organization is simply its name, Civil Righteousness. And there are these two principles where it says somewhere on your site that uh, civil inequality requires a civil rights movement, a la the movement in the 50s and 60s and 70s. But civil iniquity needs a civil righteousness movement. Would you unpack a little bit for us what you mean by iniquity and righteousness and why they're related? Yeah. Um, so, you know, when we think of in, in equity or like injustice, we could even use a biblical term that's called transgressions or even trespasses. We say it in the Lord's Prayer, right? Uh, forgive us our trespasses 
as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. That's really forgive us the injustices that we've committed against one another as we forgive those who have committed injustices against us, which is what happens when you're a human, right? When you're in relationship with people. And so the the injustice or the, the violation in an action against a person that happens um, requires uh, the writing of that injustice, the writing of that wrong, which is a justice-centered movement. So that's our externals. That's the things outside that we do and the things that we pursue. But Jesus's justice agenda, one of the reasons why he was so hated on the earth is because he stood before the Pharisees. He stood before the religious leaders of his day. And he said, you know what? You're pointing your finger at me for hanging out with a prostitute uh, when in your heart, you're imagining yourself with her. Like you're, you're really jealous that I'm hanging with her because you're lusting after her. And he goes, as you think in your heart, so you're doing. Like if you've already committed adultery at the heart level. So God then says, the iniquity is your thoughts. It's the inward thought life, the intentions, the motives of your heart. And he's going, before you point the finger at me and before you point the finger at them or that, that group of people or that political party and say, they need to change, you need to change. And, he, and, and so Jesus's justice agenda begins with justice on our inside, on within us, and then it's internal transformation that leads to the reform of everything externally where we live and how we live with people. Oh, it's so good. And also so helpful while sounding more challenging, to be quite honest. Like that it feels like these days the blinders are constantly getting put on and it's it's just the year 2020. It's just the latest act of violence or the latest racially biased, uh, just, uh, okay. There's so, there's so many ways to get derailed by the moment, by the death, by the next rally, by the next riot, by the next thing that I find I'm, I'm doing this. And a lot of what you are bringing to the table is as Christians, we are uniquely situated to go, okay, not only is it not just 2020, that the history of the United States is actually broader. Like let's, let's do this with our blinders and see this as a, a moment in time for our nation. But then as a Christian, we actually get to like take the whole blinders off and go, we have an ability as a church to see human beings as fundamentally needing Jesus and this, this internal shift. So it sounds very Christ-like for which I'm like we're all called as Christians, right? Right. But it's a it's a harder challenge to go, okay, let's look at the internal world and how that begins to spill out that the Imago Day, that every person has this piece. How do you begin inviting people into this is not with the blinders, folks. This is this is at once a more difficult conversation because it begins here and spreads out. And how does that actually look? Yeah. I, I you know, I think we have we have looked at racism, we've looked at injustice as almost like a, a purely political issue because we pursue political solutions. You know, um, we've had so many movements, whether it was around race or whether it was around gender or sexual orientation, there's all these different movements, right? Justice movements. But at a fundamental level, God is like, how can you, it says in First John 3, I believe it says, how can you love God who you cannot see if you don't love your brother who you can see? Mm. And it's like, wait a second. From heaven's perspective, like you don't even love Jesus if you cannot genuinely love your neighbor. And this is a really, really intense, you know, concept when we really look at history we look at the 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 process of how we got to where we are how we're having conversations that we were having a hundred years ago um and at the core god is a, a healer you know he wants us to to walk in real family real healing and uh he's gonna allow certain things to keep coming back to challenge us uh, to get out of our blinders, as you were saying, get out of our little bubbles and to see things from his perspective. And the whole gospel is about the nations and that's the ethnic groups of the earth uh, in every place. And so this is critical if we're supposed to be, you know, Christians, if we're supposed to be 
uh, people of the gospel to the ends of the earth, how can we carry a gospel to a people who we can't see uh, because we don't see the image of God in them? And so God is, is trying to correct that, I believe, right now. Mm. Wow. It's so significant. I'm glad that you mentioned the movements that we've seen unfold even in the short duration of our lives. And there's an interesting polarity that emerges inside the church when every new movement begins to garner some momentum. Mm -hmm. And you see it right now of, well, definitively, should Christians be on the side of Black Lives Matter or should definitively Christians be on the side of democracy or there's an attempt to see where the gospel lines up with every movement. And I think part of it is because we don't understand how the transformation of the heart uh, by Jesus actually affects social and political structures. So the question is, what, what sort of square one and two as it relates to, yeah, you say you love God, but you don't even love your neighbor. And if I realize, when I realize that that is true, what are some of the steps of beginning to engage that problem in my own heart? Oh, that's a great question. I think the first one is tears. And I call it the gift of tears. Um, You know, if you look at the prophets of old, uh, biblically, Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, Isaiah had tears, Ezekiel had tears. You, You look at what is the power of mourning? What's the power of being able to feel, to empathize? Um, the start is, is, is entering into mourning and saying, God, you know what? If you're at a place where you're just like, I'm confused. I see all these riots. I see all this stuff. I hear all these debates. I'm seeing the news and people are back and forth. I don't even know where to start. You can start by saying, God, break my heart. What do you feel? Help help me to feel what you feel because, and help me to feel what they feel. Like I, when you get tears, it's a sign of the hard heartedness of your, uh, we're kind of naturally hard hearted. So, so when God begins to break our hearts, he's breaking off callousness. You know, as humans, we, we can just easily become very callous, especially, I mean, look at our entertainment culture We're we've all seen people get murdered over and over again, just through what we watch on TV so then when we see the actual, we see it actually happening on a video, it's like, whoa, some people didn't feel anything and others felt deeply vexed, you know, but how do we begin to feel? That, that's the first thing is, is prayer helps you. Um, and particularly that prayer, God break my heart. It softens you and begins to open you up. And from that place, you then move into, okay, I'm broken. Now, Lord, what, what do you want me to do? How can I, how can I enter into uh, the gap with you? That's what Jesus did, right? He, he stood in the gap. He bridged the gap between what was right, what was wrong, what was broken, and, and the healing that was brought on the cross. And so then we say, I'm going to enter into this with you, God, you know? Um, and, and that really starts out with getting uncomfortable, <laughs> you know, being willing to step out of your comfort zone and go and serve, serve the person that you're most upset with. Uh, that's where blessing your enemies come in, um, which is a hard thing to do. But who do you think is your enemy? Go serve them. Go, go find a way for them to be blessed, even in the uncomfortable realities of, of what you feel. And you might see a miracle take place. Um, and then you might actually begin to see them beyond the offense and beyond the pain and beyond your fear and beyond your misunderstanding and, uh, and, and see Jesus in them. And then you can begin the work of reconciliation. That is a challenging recommendation made more difficult by, I think, the difficulty of knowing who your enemies are and what service and love look like? Mm -hmm. You know, I know many of the basic terms of the way of Jesus, like 
the sign of the return of Christ in the book of Revelation is the widespread love of the church laying its life down for its enemies and just went, yeah, but I don't know that I know who my enemies are, who I'm reading as an enemy. And I think that there is also an inclination, especially in Western Christianity, to go, love really looks like speaking the truth or bringing a necessary correction or you know, in some way directly engaging, but really oppositionally, uh, someone who's different. And so let's say that our audience didn't know who their enemies were and what service looked like. What handrails would you give them to begin thinking about that? Yeah, the first thing I would say is the Bible says that our our real war is not against flesh and blood. So no matter who you think your enemy is, whatever human you can pinpoint, you got to understand that it is not them. <laughs> it's not them. It's actually the enemy of the ages. It's Satan himself who gets in the mouths, gets in the minds, gets in the emotions of other humans. And so no matter what battle you think you're facing, the real enemy behind the enemy is the enemy of our souls is spiritual. So, but secondly, whoever the, the, the Satan is using as your enemy physically, um, one of the things that we can do when we're speaking the truth in love is we've got to separate facts from truth. You can wield facts all day. Um, but facts about a person, well, you did this, you did this. Do you remember this date? La da 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 da. And if you just wield facts and accusation, you can operate in that same spirit of slander and, and tearing down versus the spirit of love. So you can be angry uh, for a moment, but there's righteous anger and unrighteous anger. And unrighteous anger will ultimately cause that person and even you to be more depressed, more angry, more upset, more uh, divided than you were before the confrontation versus righteous anger, which bears the fruit of righteousness. And the fruit of righteousness is love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, patience, self-control, long-suffering, forbearance. I mean, the fruits of righteousness, if you are angry in righteousness, you can speak the truth to a person. And if it's been, again, if it's sourced in a brokenness, like where you're, you're broken hearted for the person who offended you, broken hearted for the person who's oppressed you. If you can get to that place where you actually feel God's compassion, even though you feel violated, even though you feel all the emotions, right? Uh, if you can get to that place and then you confront them in truth, then the fruits of righteousness are going to follow whatever you say to them. They're going to experience healing. They're going to experience peace. They're going to experience transformation. You're not going to be depressed and carrying a heavy burden. All those things are what we have to get to in terms of how we engage with those who we've been offended with or who have offended us. Mm, it's so good. I, I I want to bring this to even the the specificities of our audience and some of the experience these days, if I can if I can guess at some of it. So right now, listening, a primarily white audience, experiencing a lot of this probably remotely through technology, maybe through some rallies, certainly through social media. And there's a reaction in the world and its demand for justice that I think Christians are also very familiar with. Of There's a demand for blood for blood. Like there's a, there's a guilt, shame aspect of this cycle that I see in some of the uh, white reaction to a moment like this. Yeah. If there's injustice and it's being, even if the system was set up and I am, I am inheriting the latest version of it, I am still in the wrong because of the system. Mm -hmm. And Blaine, you were saying that like love is speaking the truth. I, I, would, I would actually also add that sometimes it feels like love is doing no harm. And therefore there's like this, I'm not going to do anything yeah. to do no harm. But then we'll see folks say like, well, if you do nothing, that actually is perpetuating the harm. Yeah. And so that you, there is a call for action, but there's also a, this, this feeling of culpability that 
the Bible just sort of goes, yes, you are. And yes, it's been paid therefore. So to the, if we could just picture for a moment that the young white man who is listening to this while working a shift at his coffee shop going, you talk about the table. We talk about loving others as we, as we see Jesus. And I know that those are like fundamentally true and fundamentally challenging. And what do I do next? Yeah. Well, I, I think the first thing is there, there's four steps that we're, that we're even developing even now to help frame the national conversation. And the first thing is, is learn. You know, we all have been, um, depending on what part of the country you grew up in, there's only certain levels of truth that, that most people have an average level of understanding regarding American history. And as Americans, we're very, because we're such a progress-centered nation, we're so like forward-thinking, forward-moving, and the news cycles are so fast, it's like we don't even remember what happened two weeks ago much less 200 years ago. And so, you know, when we think of slavery, when we think of even the civil rights movement, we're thinking of something like far back in history, not understanding that, you know, there are people alive today, um, older black folks whose parents, um, whose grandparents were slaves, you know? So uh, I'm, I'm a young man, I'm still in my thirties and my great grandmother was born on a slave plantation and I had a relationship with her. So it's like, mm-hmm. wait, how can somebody alive today, a young person, have a relationship with someone who she wasn't a slave, but she was born on the plantation where our family was slaves? And, and so when we think of like how close history was and how you can't undo what has happened throughout history, what it took over 400 years to build on North American soil, soil you can't just undo and obliterate everything within a couple of, within a few decades, you know, within 40, 50 years. And so the hangover from history is what we're dealing with today. And so I think it's important for all of us not to jump into, well, denial. There is no systemic racism. And it's also important for those who have been engaged and have learned and, and have been kind of awakened to the realities of the systems we've inherited they can weaponize that knowledge and use it as like a weapon against people who don't know. Well, how could you not know? How could you say that there's no racism, you know? And so I've seen both. Like I've seen folks get quote unquote woke from the Mm -hmm. white community. And they're like, it's my mission. Now I'm going to tell every white person you, you are terrible. If you don't open your voice, silence is violence. And I, I appreciate the passion, but that can actually, again, when wielded the wrong way, can cause even more division and more hard-heartedness and more closed ears and closed eyes. So what do we do? We enter, first of all, into a corporate learning, all of us. This is not just black history. This is not uh, white colonial history. This is American colonial history, and we've all inherited it. We all have a role to play. We've all inherited the, the, the wounding from it. And we're in it together and we all have to enter into a fresh uh, pursuit of truth. Like what happened? What are the effects of what has happened? So become a student is what I would say. Study history. Second, in the learning, listen. Listen to the experiences of others, black and white and Asian and Hispanic. I mean, let's come to the table and, and posture yourself as a listener and listening not with the intent of, trying to disprove or, or coming to the table with a preconceived answer to questions, but coming to the table with honest questions and being willing to be taught. Um, learn, listen, and then lament. That's, that goes back to the tears. Enter into the lament. Like, you know, man, this, this is terrible. And, and you can grieve on behalf of your ancestors, even if your family didn't own slaves. Some people go, well, my family was poor Irish folks. We didn't own slaves. But the bottom line is Jesus Jesus was sinless. And yet he said, I'm guilty. Crucify me. I mean, so it's like, if we're going to be like Jesus and, and, it, and your apology, your lament is going to actually help bring healing to somebody else, then that's actually the Jesus way is whether you're guilty or not, you say, I'm guilty, you know? And then you do then we, we move from learning, listening, lamenting to 
innovation and implementing. So civil rights has always, these movements have pursued innovation and implementing first. Well, we got to change this law. We got to create this. We're going to create this, uh, this scholarship fund and this, this, this investment fund. And yeah, we need to do those things, but that's not where we start because when you do that, you never deal with the psychological, emotional, and spiritual wounds. But what we want to do is deal with the psychological, emotional, and spiritual wounds first through learning, listening, lamenting. Then we move into innovation and implementation. So how do we innovate? What can you do in your coffee shop as you're listening right now to provide more equitable employment opportunities for former convicted felons? You know, how can you do justice in your sphere of influence? Um, implementing tra- changes and transformation in your corporations, in your, uh, in your classrooms, wherever it is that you have influence, we have to do Micah 6-8, which is do justly, walk humbly, and love mercy. Extend a second chance. Be merciful to people. Be gracious with them. And let's walk the Jesus walk. Woof. <laughs> Woof is, a, is an Ansons thing for that's a lot and it's good. <laughs> I am struck right now by the word humility, and I know that there is, I don't know if it's an inclination or if it's just a desire in especially like guys in their 20s predominantly, and there's a desire to be able to see through the situation and to be able to sit outside of it and That's my inclination personally is to be able to go, you know, well, here's the right and they're mistaken for these reasons and here's the left and they have excesses and these reasons. And then over here is sort of the alternative uh, informed position, which I just, uh, you know, repeatedly recognize in myself as self-protection retreat uh, and and fear of being the student. And so... uh, the question that comes up in me is, walk humbly, uh, humility. What is it that allows a young guy to be humble? Because in most situations, it's dangerous to be the low seat at the table or dangerous to be the least informed person in a conversation. And yet that is the invitation to us in this season. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I interviewed my father-in-law yesterday who happens to be a, uh, a white man <laughs> um, and from the South, like deep woods, uh, mountain rural uh, North Carolina guy. And uh, we were having this conversation about kind of our, our journey together, you know, his shock when his daughter brought home a black man. And um, the, the powerful thing was he came to me once he saw that our relationship was getting serious. And he said, um, I'm really struggling with the fact that you're black. He just told me, he said, I'm really struggling. And he goes, I know this is wrong. Will you pray for me? And I'm, I'm just, I'm a young, like 19 year old kid. I'm like shocked. I'm stunned. I'm like, uh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'll, I'll, I'll pray for you. And then he goes, no, I don't mean later. I mean like right now. And he grabbed my hand and I'm like, uh, so this man just basically told me he's a racist, but he knows that it's not right. And he's asking me to pray for God to change his heart. Okay. All right. So I pray a prayer and it was amazing because two years later we find ourselves at the wedding and he stands up and he says to the whole assembly, he goes, I know we're making history today. I know there are people who who don't agree with the fact that I'm giving away my black my my white daughter to a black man. He goes, but when I see him, I see a man of God, and there's no other there's no greater man I'd, I'd rather give him away to, give her away to. And he said, if anybody has a problem with it, they got to come through me because this is my son. And I thought, wow, God radically transformed this man's heart. He grew up in a town where there's like maybe a half black person in the entire, within like a hundred miles. I mean, this is, this is not his paradigm, his world. 
And yesterday when we were talking and telling this story publicly, he said this, he says, without humility, there can be no peace. He goes, without humility, there can be no peace. And the, this walk humbly, this is, this is not the natural way we're wired as men. It's not the natural way we're wired as, as humans. We want to win the argument. We want to be the smartest person in the room. We want, to, we, we want to come to the table with our facts to prove our point. We don't love mercy. We don't want to be merciful and gracious with somebody. Will we stay at the table even if the person you're at the table with offends you? And that's where humility comes, is, is learning how not to be easily offended and how not to, def- to, to defend yourself. Humility is, I'm not going to defend my position. I'm not going to defend myself. I am going to go low. And God can teach me through even voices that, that are diametrically opposed to me or that are, are speaking accusation. Can you hear what God is trying to say to you, even through the mouth of your enemy or the person you perceive as your enemy? And if you're always listening, like, I'm going to listen for what God wants to teach me. If he could speak through a donkey, he can speak through this person or that group of people or this or whatever. And maybe he might speak to me and change, change me. I think that's, that's what we have to go after when it comes to humility. Oh, it's so good. It, I just going to let the question percolate. No, I, I, I'm just aware that like the world feels stacked against living well. Like that this moment in time does not reward your choice to be humble puts you on edge to be put between two sides, to not engage well, to be like on that fight, flight, freeze response. And yeah. I just, I, I'm aware that I am learning that lesson every day, every day, Jonathan. I've, like, I feel like I need to learn it over and over again. Just the be humble lesson of, yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. And <laughs> I also, the be humble one, there's an early Christian heresy to which I'm particularly vulnerable, donatism of like that uh, the validity of a person's teaching is dependent on their moral perfection. And go, it's a moment when I see both sides of the argument and myself uh, mostly wanting to point out the flaws in their opposition Mm. and go, well, you know, you guys wanted to bring racial inequality into the national spotlight, but then you ended up rioting. And so, you know, just this dismiss because of violence and switch it over and go, uh, you say you want to participate in some form of social restoration, but you refuse to listen and go over. I know that you've done a lot of time hanging in there in conversation with people who are very much in progress. What are some of the things that help you engage a dialogue that's still imperfect because, in fact, Jesus has not returned yet? Well, I, that's a great question. I think the first thing is understanding that as people whose citizenship, you know, if, if you're a believer, then your citizenship and your allegiance is not first to whatever country you live in. Like, that's, that's not our primary allegiance. Abraham, it said, was a, a sojourner. Like, he was passing through. He lived as an alien in the earth. And so it's like, wait a second. First of all, my allegiance is not to a political party. I'm not a Democrat. I'm not a Republican first. I'm not a this first. I'm not. No, I am a son of God first. I'm not a black man first. I'm not a white man first. No, I, my identity is as a son in the house of my father who is a king and he's king over a kingdom that far surpasses the kingdoms of this earth. So we come to the table from that. And so you and I, I mean, we haven't talked about our politics. Like, I don't know where you stand. You don't know where I stand. And at the end of the day, we can come to this table 
And I'm coming to the table and I'm having this conversation with you as my fellow family members. Like we are brothers because we share the same father. And because of that, what I know is you talk like and you sound like you have the dialect of wherever you're from. So if I'm from, which I'm in North Carolina right now, I don't live in North Carolina, but North Carolinians talk like this. (laughs) And so that dialect is indicative of where you're from. And if I am from heaven, if I'm seated with Christ in a heavenly place, then my language has to reflect my heavenly home. And in heaven, God doesn't use us versus them language. He doesn't say, well, those, those stupid conservatives, well, those stupid Democrats, oh, well, those poor black folks, well, those, those racist white folks. Anytime you hear us versus them language, which is what we hear primarily in our culture and what we were tempted to engage in, that is language from the fall of man. That's Adamic language. That's like in the first Adam. But the language of the second Adam, which is Jesus, is the family. It's, it's us. It's we. It's the household of the faith. And so with that said, we stay at the table and we bear with one another through the lens of the fact that we are all, we have all fallen short of the glory of God, every single one of us, and we are all a work in progress. And that together we have to be bearing with one another as we're being transformed into his image and learning how to, to love one another into a greater and higher kingdom than the kings of this world. Does that make sense? I want to listen to it again, but I think so. <laughs> <laughs> At least you're honest. I know that was a lot. That was a lot. But I feel like there is an expression of what you were just talking about even in the method that you recommend that someone could find by going on your website at Civil Righteousness and finding a way to get plugged in. And uh, simply, there is an element of vision that is not just of this world because it's not bound to political movements or purely social change. And I'm thinking specifically of One of the first recommendations on your site is this thing, the wall, like build the prayer wall as a, in your city, as a, as an inaugural piece of your engagement. Could you talk about what that is and why it's one of the first recommendations that you make? Totally. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things is we have not seen the historic civil rights movement was led by the church. It was birthed in the church. It was led by the faith community and particularly the Christian faith. It was a biblical hope. One of the things we haven't seen or even heard in the last 50 years is a protest movement that is rooted in biblical hope. And so what we've done, um, I, I felt like the Lord was like, you know what? The church should be leading the protest. But historically what's happened over the last six years is we show up at like a BLM protest and we don't want to be silent. Um, so it's like, well, we'll show up at the protest, but then you realize like, Hey, there's some things going on here and there's some agendas going on here that don't necessarily line up with like a biblical conviction that I feel like I can fully stand behind, you know? Um, and so what we did is we realized that first of all, again, our battle is against, spiritual forces of wickedness in a real way. And in every city, there's a place that has caused historic division. There's no town or city that you can probably visit in America, even rural or or a major city that doesn't have some sort of historic dividing line or some controversial conflict that happened at one point in that town's history, which caused socioeconomic division or racial division. So we call these altars of pain and we thought, you know what, what if we did a prayer meeting that's silent where we're not lifting up our voices to, to, uh, to, to get man's attention, but we're lifting up our hearts to God to get heaven's attention. And so we take this piece of tape and we write our prayer burden. Like, what is it that you want God to change the most? What are you asking God or hoping for? Justice, mercy, 
peace, forgiveness, whatever it may be. You write it on that piece of tape, put it over your mouth, and we do a one-hour prayer meeting, and it's silent. There's no, there's no, no like carrying signs and chanting and yelling, but we're just saying, no, we are, we are standing and we're identifying even on earth with those who, who were not heard. You know, George Floyd said, I can't breathe. And it was as if the officer couldn't even hear him, like he had no voice. And so who are the voiceless? We're going to stand and we're, we're going to stand in silence because they weren't heard on, on earth, but they're heard in heaven. And we know that God hears our voices. So it's, it's an easy way to invite even non-believers into a protest led by the church, because if they don't understand the prayer piece, they, they get the, hey, uh, George Floyd was silent. He wasn't heard. How many voices have been unjustly silenced? And we're standing in solidarity with that. And they'll stand with you. But then it presents a wide open door for the gospel. Anybody can do this, can lead a silent prayer meeting at a place where there's been historic pain. And what we've seen is it literally supernaturally shifts the atmosphere of cities. And it's opened a great door for the gospel. We did it where George Floyd was killed in Minneapolis, I believe, eight days ago. And hundreds of people came to Jesus. And to the point that the next night, uh, we got a baptism tank. And every day for the last seven days, people have been getting saved and baptized at the memorial where George Floyd was killed. So we turned this altar of pain into an altar of really encounter with Jesus and the love and the hope of God. And so that's the one thing we're doing. We call those the hope rally. So the hope rally is basically after you've done the wall and kind of gained a presence, then you just love on people. You, you present the gospel. Um, and we're seeing some amazing things happen. Uh, I fall on my face. <laughs> like, whoa, whoa. What I feel in my heart is the, the uplift of recognition of something that I'm made to participate in. Right, right. Because it feels like these days we're meant to just hitch our wagon to something else as the church. Like there, there isn't like a momentum. Therefore, you got to either be with the, the conservatives or the liberals or something. And they're all broken and failing. So you're going to fail whichever you choose. But that charge of like, no, the church is actually meant to step in and lead in this. It's such... Oh, it's so good. It's a piece also that brings more of the worldview of Jesus into the church and go, listen, for a few hundred years, church has tragically separated the spiritual and the physical and to go, listen, the book of Romans one man sin entered the world and death through sin and go, there are long-term spiritual ramifications to a person's actions. And in you will probably have to contend with the spiritual forces of darkness, the foul spirits that have been empowered by sin to oppress an area. And that's just a part of the movement that I don't hear talked about anywhere else, which is like, hey, Take this seriously if you want to get real change done. Yeah, it's, it's true here, especially here in the Western world, right? The, the, the rest of the world, meaning the other 6 billion, 5 billion, however many people in the earth outside of the West, outside of Europe and America, they live as though the realm of the unseen is more real than the realm that we can see. But we over here with all of our intellectual uh, all of our intellectualism and our uh, seminaries and all these things, we live as though the world that we can see is more real than the world that we can't see. So we fight for change in the seen rather than in the unseen when the demons are having a heyday. And these are literal, you know, there are, uh, if you read the Bible about like Josiah and these great kings of old who, who did what was right in the sight of the, the Lord, they went and they destroyed the idols, the altars of worship that, uh, that oppressed the people uh, when they chose gods besides the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And some of the, even the statues and different things in our, in our culture, there are spiritual powers attached to them in the unseen. They represent histories of demonic activity in a region 
And that's why, you know, they become clash points in our cities um, when these injustices happen. So when we go and we pray, it really is an act of spiritual warfare. And we've seen it like very clearly before your eyes. We have seen some really bizarre, crazy things happen just standing there and pray. Uh, But we've also, again, I, I can't express enough. We have seen God give the victory to his people over and over again. And it can only happen through the multi-ethnic, multicultural presence of the people of God. As we link arms with people who don't look like us and we unify not around a political message, but around this gospel and unify around the power of God, we see things shift. So good. I want to ask just a couple questions out of the what we do part of civil righteousness. And there are sort of four pieces that you guys talk about on your site, engaging justice, restoring communities, mobilizing allies, and building bridges. I wonder if just in brief, could you hit on those four points and kind of quickly explain why those became uh, the central thrust of what you guys are doing? Yeah, I think so many people in the church uh, want to engage in the work of pursuing biblical justice, but have not known practically how to do it. So one of the first things that we decided that we would do is we would empower the church to physically engage um, spiritually first through prayer, and then also to help equip uh, believers with language and resources um, to do it, you know, in their own neighborhoods and in their own cities where things are happening. So we're engaging in justice through our public activism, which is the wall, the silent prayer meetings, uh, the hope rallies, uh, being feet on the street. We're being reconcilers and peacemakers in zones of conflict. We even have uh, kind of our special forces strike team, so to speak, or, or recon teams that kind of go in just a few people. We go in where there's riots and looting happening uh, during those things. And we have specially trained uh, individuals who can de-escalate and do kind of uh, de-escalation measures in those cities to help police keep the peace. So that's one big piece. Um, Mobilizing allies. You know, we currently have over 110 cities now that have joined and committed to do uh, one of our uh, engagement strategies in their city to to do a silent wall of prayer or to host a, a hope rally. Um, so we're trying to kind of be a mediator between uh, different communities, between conservatives and liberals, between black folks and white folks. And, you know, what we really need is the Holy Spirit to help us interpret. And so I believe that's the role of the church. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation. So we're creating bridges. We're building those bridges by creating opportunities for learning, obviously now online. But even before all this broke out, uh, we did uh, an annual civil righteousness conference and uh, we've developed a, a resource that we're going to roll out probably in a couple of weeks called Civil Righteousness University, which will be an online e-course where we're training the average believer in like practical biblical principles on peacemaking, justice, reconciliation, God's heart for for uh, a multicultural church, just all those types of things, like just practical stuff related to civil righteousness. And then finally, um, restoring communities. Isaiah 58 through 61 talks about the restoration of streets with dwellings. It's not enough for us just to come to the table and have great conversations. And I'm so grateful to be on this podcast and have this conversation. But how do we move beyond conversation into practical action? And one of the things is we do have to have legislative change. We do have to have police reform. We do have to have investment in black and minority communities. We need the private sector and we need the church. You know, how many churches with $50 million budgets every year, if they even took 5% of that, they could invest in, in in a community and see literal urban development, see businesses established, see people empowered. So we want to harness that, the wealth really, even of the body of Christ and say, Let's not just look to the government to do what God has ultimately called us to do as the repairer of streets, the restorer 
the rebuilders. So we're starting businesses. We're kind of uh, modeling out this urban development concept in Ferguson, Missouri, which is where we're based, called the Garden at Ferguson. And we've purchased a, a little coffee shop that was the hub of the community. And we're going to create this as part of the centerpiece of culture and life in that community as we buy and renovate homes and just do lots of different restorative work. Um, so that's, uh, that's our pillars there. That is remarkable. Thank you so much for coming in the podcast today. Just love to know if a guy became curious in listening to this podcast and which we hope you did wanted to know more. Where would you send that person? Just come uh, check us out at civilrighteousness.org. Civilrighteousness.org. You'll see six ways that you can get involved immediately. Um, there's also a statement for righteousness and justice that we're going to use to gather and amass as many signatures as possible. And we're going to go to the highest level of influence in our nation with this uh, proposal. We feel like we have a plan for America, a way forward, a way of healing, but it has to be led by the church. And so we're going to speak truth to power, but we need as many people to sign and to kind of jump on board with us. Uh, to do this and help us lead the way at civilrighteousness.org. So good. Jonathan, thank you again for today. We've got two more minutes. In in the spirit of the story of your father-in-law, would you be willing to close us in prayer? Absolutely. I'd love to. Father, I just thank you for this moment. I thank you for every young man and woman, Lord, who, who might listen to this podcast, who's listening in right now. I thank you that we were timely born in our generation, that there's no mistakes in you. I thank you that every single person has a unique role to play in the restoration of all things. So, Lord, even if the language was like really lofty, you know, maybe people have more questions than answers even now. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you guide us into all truth. And I'm asking that you would speak to every young man listening tonight. God, that you would speak to every single person. Give them a dream. Give them a vision. God, open their eyes in a a greater way. Lord, let them be your instruments of peace. God, I thank you that you said, blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called the sons of God. Lord, I pray, would you release the grace of making peace where there is no peace? in a time where we desperately need it. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.